Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, huge fan listeners. Welcome to a special episode of the show where I am actually the guest. That's right, I'm going to turn the hosting duties over to Salima Masakella, host of the All Music is Black Music podcast, also on SiriusXM. You'll hear me talk all about my fan journey and love for the WNBA. Now, here's Salima. Enjoy the show. A calm six feet, four inches tall by the age of 14. But China figured maybe it was time to try out this basketball thing. Her talent for the sport earned her a scholarship to Wake Forest University, where she started almost every game during her four-year varsity career. Post-grad, she was hired by ESPN as an expert analyst covering the WNBA and women's NCAA hoops. This star hooper turned star analyst went global and hit the Olympics in Tokyo, she said. I've always said that I would follow the journey of these incredible athletes anywhere in the world. I love this game. You know her as the show's host, but today we are flipping the script on this huge fan. My name, I'm Salema Masakella. Those sweet, funky sounds you hear are the Budos Band, and this is Huge Fan podcast where stars talk sports. Now, please help me welcome the one, the only, China Robinson, WNBA huge fan. When I see the way you talk about the game, it reminds me much of the way that I, I'm, as much as I'm a sportscaster, um, and, and a journalist, like at the end of the day, I'm just a fan. Like I'm a super, super fan of the thing. And there are plenty of people who are like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a journalist. I'm, I'm merely here to observe the thing and not get too excited. But one of the things that I love about how you come across is, and it's just, I'm sure the, as the audience does too, is that like, yo, you're about this. Like you love the excitement and the progression um, and the sort of endless possibility of the game. So where, where, did, where did that come from? How did, how, how did you begin? It really all started with my dad. He is a huge basketball fan, watched a lot of NBA. I tie him back to my love for the New York Knicks. It's his fault that I love Patrick Ewing. He always asked me, he was like, why do you like Patrick? And he, he first of all, my dad gets a little jealous, right? So he's one of those dads that still speaks to me in third person, like, Daddy loves you, you know, like he's he's been my best friend for most of my life. Yeah, and I'm 41 years old. So um, he gets a little jealous, and I, I noticed that when I was a kid and we would watch games, and I would say, oh, he's so good. He would always find a reason why there was a player I shouldn't like. 
And he did, even though I knew he loved Patrick Ewing, he would continue to bring back the fact that he wasn't attractive to him. And I'm like, why does that matter? He was like, why do you like Patrick Ewing? He looks like, you know, and I'm like, Dad, shouldn't you be encouraging me to focus on his skill set? But that's just a jealous dad that didn't want me to have this admiration for Patrick Ewing, and he was going to try to cut him down by whatever means necessary. So anyway, um, it started with my dad, and I was I, I loved to watch all sports as a kid growing up. Um, but when you're six four at fourteen years old, basketball at fourteen fourteen years old, I was six four and fat. Because you know girls grow faster than boys, and then they stop growing before boys do. So I was 6'1 at 13, and then by the time I turned 14, I was 6'4. And I had this casual relationship with basketball pretty much up to this point. Like, I had tried it. I was like, yeah, it's okay. My older sister played um, and was much more serious about it than I was. I had a sister on my dad's side, a stepsister who actually went to college and played basketball. Like I said, my dad loved it, but I was super casual about it until I was 14. And it wasn't because I suddenly found this love for the game. It was because this guy in the neighborhood kept coming back to my house and telling my mom she should be playing basketball. She's six, four. She should be playing. My mother is huge on education, but could care less about sports. She was like, if she's going to be sweating her hair out, and people are going to be stepping on her new shoes. We're not coming. So thanks for stopping by. Um, but one day he mentioned that I could get a college scholarship. And the minute he said that, my mother was like, oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Now there was interest. I'm sorry. Yeah. Come on yeah. in. Would you like cream? Would you like cream? And how many sugars? No, it was more like, what time is practice? She'll be there tomorrow. Um, and pretty much that was it. I mean, it dropped me off and never came back to get me. So it's, it's really started, the love started with my dad, but my involvement in the game where I would eventually go on to play in college and so on, um, you know, started with my mom and this guy, in my neighborhood, Michael J, who just would not let it rest. And then once I started playing, you know, I mean, I was 14 years old and I was awkward, taller than all everybody and just low self-esteem. And when I stepped on the basketball court for the first time, I was like, wow, like now I found a bit of purpose. If that makes sense. You know, teenage years are super awkward. So I was like, this is why, yeah, that makes that's why I'm tall. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I started to find my voice and I was like, okay, like this is a cool place to be. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I imagine at six four, at fourteen, and I read that you had your interest actually lied in cheerleading at first. It's got to be interesting where like everyone's telling you that you have to, you should be doing something else because how you look, but inside, but like no, I'm I'm interested interested in this over here as well as the fact that like kids are horrible at that age. And you are about as different as different could be mm-hmm. at, at that time. What, what was that like? Um, spending every day of my life trying to fit in where I clearly didn't fit in. You know, like I remember being in gymnastics and our instructors one day were just like, her legs are too, like she's kicking us. You know, it's it's I wasn't fitting in between the uneven bars. Like there were just logistical, if you will, things that <laughs> were pushing me 
outside of this box that I was continually trying to fit in. You know, my cheerleading skirt was so tall, was shorter than everyone else's skirt. And it was always on the base of the pyramid, like holding other girls up. And um, it, it was tough, but I wanted to be like my friends and I wanted to be like everyone else. Um, and um, it, was, it was a very painful time. You know, teenage years suck and kids are very mean. And, you know, um, I'm just grateful that I, my parents continued to guide me in a way that I would find a space where I was accepted. And, and honestly, I hated being tall all the way till I got to college. I mean, that's when, when I finally locked, like walked into my first college party, I was like, oh, shoot, this isn't bad. You know, you walk in, you're tall, and everybody's like, okay, she must be someone. I'm not, but let's play that game. <laughs> you know, mm. uh, so I, it's the one thing that I won't, ch- I would never change about myself now, but it wasn't like that as a kid. Mm. When you got on the court, did you, did you find that people that your peers or those kids started to treat you differently or how did it affect, how did that sort of start to help you build, uh, if at all, a, a sense of identity. Well, at first it was a lot of pressure that I wasn't ready to deal with. I think people assume that because you're tall, you're going to be good. I was terrible. I was an awful basketball player. Mm. It took me years to get any kind of coordination. You know, these girls have been playing since they were like six and seven years old. Here I come walking in at 14, know nothing. Uh, but the comfort came in being with, you know, girls that were like me and, you know, I, I just believe that young girls that get involved in sport naturally um, are better communicators, have more confidence, they understand teamwork, they deal with rejection better. So here they were, like these 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 young women who were kind of, um, I guess, more mature than me in so many aspects that were embracing me. So that was the part of it that I think was was best. But there was a lot of pressure starting out to be good. Um, but you're always wanted when you've got height. Like that's the one thing that people don't tell you about basketball. If you are undersized, you will constantly be proving yourself. That's why when you look at the Steph Curry's of the world or, you know, shoot, I went to Wake Forest, the Muggsy Bogues of the world, like all the undersized, if you will, or smaller players in the game. Um, you know, when you look at the women's side, Becky Hammond, oh my goodness, like worked so hard to to make her mark. Like, we don't have to deal with that when you're tall. People just assume that you're going to be good. They assume you play basketball. Uh, you know, you're kind of automatically celebrated. So um, I had to earn that the hard way. And I wouldn't even say I was very good mm-hmm. by the time I got my first scholarship uh, offer. I was just tall. Mm-hmm. How did how did how did you how did the game start to come to you, or when did you start to realize like, oh, okay? I, there's there this is this is the area where if I if I if I focus on this like ah this is where I can play yeah um I mean I had a really I had really great coaching coming up through high school my AU coach Fred Priester to this day is one of the best in the Northern Virginia area and uh you know they were they were good at balancing kind of the expectations for me but also knowing my teammates had so much more experience so um you know, bringing me along slowly. But I think the moment that I realized, there were a couple moments that I realized that I could really hone in on a few things. I mean, you know, your ability to finish around the basket and rebound when you're a 6'4", quote, center, are always the little things that kind of continue to advance you. So you're consistently working on things like that. 
you know, being tougher, being stronger, you know, all of those little things. But I remember making the AAU team that I ultimately played on. No one had been added to this team since these girls were like five. And here we were, 14 years old. I tried out. They were only adding one person, and they added me. So I was like, okay, I did mm. something right. I, I have no idea if I'm going to be able to do that again, but here we are. <laughs> and then uh, I remember getting a compliment from Bonnie Henriksen, who at the time was the head coach for Virginia Tech women's basketball. She told one of my teammates that she was recruiting. She was like, tell the China she had a good game. And I was like, Bonnie said What? Like, I was hyped. I was like, what? She said I had a good game. Like, don't you can't tell me anything. It was a Power 5 conference school. Like, yes, like, that's a big time. I'm from Virginia. It was Virginia Tech. So there were just little little moments along the way. I also, like, had a couple of offers from other AAU teams to get picked up. That was, a, that was always a, a, a clue. For any of my AAU folks listening, like, if your team wasn't going to nationals, which was, like, the biggest stage for you to be seen for, for basketball, like, for to, if you wanted to go to college and play, if you your team wasn't going to nationals but you got picked up or you got an offer to get picked up by another team, that's when you made it. So I got a couple of those offers in there. My mother didn't mm. let me go because she was like, if your team lose, you're staying home. She didn't let me go, but I still got the <laughs> offers, which was which was the nice part. Your mother sounds a lot like my mom, uh, where like everything's everything's great, but it's it's going to be academics first. Oh yes. We're we're going to be playing long game at all times. So don't don't let these these little things where people are checking for you or such and such. Uh, think that you will be allowed to, to, to deviate from oh, the plan. Oh, no, because um, she will bring you back down a few notches when you need it. And wherever, whatever Real you quick. committed to, that's what you were going to do. I committed to this team. My mother was like, that's who you're playing with. I tried to come home after my fall break, my freshman year at Wake Forest. She was like, um, you don't have a room here. I don't know how you're going to come home. You don't have anywhere to go. Your sister is now taking over your, like, where, what do you think you're going to do? And I'm like sobbing. I'm like, mom, I don't want to be at school anymore. I can't make my mile time. She's in there cooking. She's like, Lachana, you might as well stop crying because you're going back to school. Period. But I love her for it. I love her for it. That's, that's, that's beautiful. At that time, it, how were you, when it came to sort of like, picking pieces to apply to your game who were the the players that you were that you were looking to to, to emulate and model your, your your game after when you were at Wake Forest well in the beginning so when I was watching basketball growing up of course there were just men this was pre-WNBA and then yeah. things changed for me in 1996 this is actually when kind of my trajectory changed um but also I, I kind of had a vision for where I could go and who I wanted to be. So in 96, our women's Olympic team was in Atlanta. They won gold. It was an important year for them to won, win gold because they hadn't in the previous Olympics. So there was a lot of pressure. They trained for an entire year. Tara Vanderveer was the head coach. She took the year off of Stanford just to coach our women's national team for that year leading up to the Olympics to make sure they were getting the competition and they were training. And so – um, which that team became probably the most iconic team in women's basketball Olympic history. So I was 16 years old and I was trying to decide, am I really going to get serious about this basketball thing and take the scholarship or am I going to, I got some other options over here. Cause there was a ton of trouble to be getting into. That's the one thing I didn't mention with 15 siblings. There's always some trouble to get into. 
I'm sorry. It sounded like you said 15 one five. Siblings. One five. Yeah. Wait. What? What? What was that? All right. Just describe a day <laughs> in the house. Well, that so that's the catch. So that's the catch. And my mother would be happy that I'm explaining this. So my father had 12 children, including me. My mother had five children, including me. So if you take me off of both sides, I've got 15 siblings. But my parents separated when I was two. So I... Mm, same as me. Okay. So I grew up... Minus the 15. Minus the 15. So I grew up in the household <laughs> of five of us. Um, I was second to the oldest. These are my mom's kids. She had four girls. And then once I left to college, had one more oops, baby boy. So there's five of us total on my dad's side. He's got eight boys and four girls, including me. And I'm like fourth from the bottom. So the only time I was around a massive number of children was when I was with my dad because he would get us all together for the summer. We were never all together as 12, but we would get together. Like we were together eight at a time, nine at a time, seven at a time. And it was complete chaos. Everything you could pretty much imagine. Mm. So that 916 gets you fired up. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, Love and Basketball comes out in 2000, which when they were writing that script, there was no, no WNBA or anything of that nature. What was, I love that movie. It's still, it's still one of my favorite basketball mm -hmm. movies. What, what, does, what does a movie like that do to someone like you? So I'm going to tie it back to the Olympic team. So I was, I was 16 years old or about to be 16 that year. And I saw the 96 team and I was like, whoa, like, look at Lisa Leslie. Like she is mm -hmm. tall, charismatic. She's a beast on the court. She's beautiful. Not to be, not to be trifled with. I mean, with. the elbows were fierce. You know, she had won a couple championships while she was on the brink of with the LA Sparks. Um, but the 96 team is what started the WNBA. So that team came mm. along, the Olympics yeah. happened. Everyone was like, oh, this is women's basketball is great. We should have a professional league. Boom. The next year, the WNBA starts. But it was seeing these women on that platform and me as a young girl being able to like, wow, grab a hold of, I could go to college. There's a future in this. Now there's a league. Um, that was everything to me. And so when you fast forward to 2000 with Love and Basketball, there then was another layer of it because it was like, oh, I can play and I can have love. It brought in the, it brought in the overseas aspect of it. Like, okay, I might have to go overseas and play. And as a, it all depends on where you were in life when these things started happening. But for me, yeah. you know, that movie came along and it added the next layer because I was at Wake Forest playing college basketball in 2000. So now it was like, okay, this is what basketball could continue to look like in my life. And it was just like, dang, they made a movie about a woman's basketball player. You know, like that just was not a thing. And a black woman's basketball period. Player. Like that was, it was huge. It was iconic. You know, they even did such a great job with incorporating the WNBA in the end of the movie. Lisa Leslie was in it. Like it was, it was everything, but it just felt like our moment. It still mm. is our moment. Like love and basketball will always be a women's basketball moment. Like people got a better understanding of the challenges of balancing all of the 
aspects of being a female athlete, um, you know, how we have to go overseas to pursue money and to pursue really the professional side of things and had for many, for decades even before that. So it was telling the story of the evolution of the game. Yeah, I think that impact like you described of like 96 and, and, and now suddenly like there's actual like women who are superstars associated with the game. Um, that movie um, becoming like the depth of the manner in which it infected like pop culture. So now that, that the conversation is not just linked to, to sports, but to all these themes that you have in common in, in coming of age, and that being associated with women's basketball was, was powerful because at the same time, it was, there was also this, this isn't really going to last as cool as, as cute as 96 was, this isn't going to last women's women's basketball isn't actually real basketball. They're not jumping from the free throw line. So until it is, until it mimics or feels like um, it's anywhere near the, the, the men's definition of what the game is, we don't really have to pay that much attention mm-hmm. to it. Y'all are still, it, it, it's still open there. I wonder what that, what was, what that's like being an active player, being someone who's passionate about it, but also being in the periphery of, of all that, that noise and chatter. So we are still living in that. Like there is not a post that any WNBA player or any of us put up on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and people respond, is that a sport? Go to the kitchen and make me a sandwich. Like. You see that on your, on your social media it, still. It, it happens all the time. We are still actively today. Like the number one thing WNBA players spend their time doing on social is responding to people that say that they should not be playing sports. And and often in times surprised that there's a women's league because there's another problem beyond the fact that the league has lasted 25 years, they haven't gotten the exposure they deserve either. And so people are like, Oh, y- y'all still doing this. Oh, you're only existing because the NBA is subsidizing the league. There is mm. just, and it, it, and of course sport is a microcosm of society. So it's whatever women society. are doing, and whatever black women are doing, because that's the other thing, Slim, is this is a league of 80% black women, okay? So the visibility that, that black women don't get on, on a whole, the, the equality, the equity that they don't get in every aspect of life trickles down to what we see in this league. There's just not a, it's like, oh, yeah, good luck. Hope y'all make it. And so... um the conversation that you and I are having now, I've gotten to revisit over and over again because the league just turned 25 years old. So back in 96, they were saying, it's not going to last. You know, the women can't play. This is boring. All of that to fast forward 25 years and the league is growing astronomically. I watched the entirety of uh, this year's final. Oh, cool. Uh, that that Chicago Sky um Phoenix, that, that series was one of my, like, I can actually say that that that's one of my favorite series of championship basketball. Oh. And it's the deepest that I ever got to go in like being like, okay, I'm, I'm invested. Like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for Chicago. And, you know, it was dope to see chance on the sidelines, but the level of play of the game is 
is ridiculous. There's not one. I mean, the, the as you talk about like the 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 style and the and, and the depth of skill set makes the game extremely entertaining because it's like there's not room for a bunch of like overly athletic ego. Like you have to be able to play basketball. Yeah. Absolutely. There's not, you're not going to find as much of the ISO game as you do in the NBA. Like it's a, it's a little more teamwork oriented, but the, the quality of the game over the last 25 years has grown so much, you know, I mean, going back to even title nine, 50 years ago where women were just getting the opportunities to play. Now you've seen mothers that have had daughters, the mothers who have played in the WNBA mm. who have daughters that are now playing in the WNBA. So think about how the skill set and the, you know, the opportunities have advanced the level of play. I mean, this was a great finals, but to me, it's like these women be have been doing this and I'm glad they're, they're finally mm. getting some of the attention they deserve. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is game day. When you're not working, which it seems like you are always doing, uh, what, <laughs> what, what does game day look like for you? How do you get fired up? Uh, you know, I <laughs> game day for me, I'm trying to learn how to be a fan. Like, because to your point, you and I both get to do this as fans, but I don't know how hard it is for you now that you've seen it through that different lens of covering sport like how difficult is it for you to now go back to the purity of it, right? So I'm I'm still watching games like, oh, why are they still in this zone? And he should have called a timeout, you know. Um, you know, they need to change up that matchup. You know, I mean, I would I would I'm trying to get to the point and I think I'm actively doing it by going to more games and uh, you know, having nothing at stake just trying to hone in on what I'm seeing in front of my eyes. But then I'm like, you know, oh, they're too close to that baseline stanchion. And this, you know, it's just God. Cause I think about the operations of the two. I, I mean, all of it, you know, how, you know how it is. Like we, we see everything happening. Mm -hmm. And so um, game day for me is usually watching film, unfortunately. But if I am able to be a fan, I like to be in the arena. Um, and I'm, I'm just taking in everything that's happening, 
you know i mean i'm not a jersey i'm not a person to wear a jersey like not showing up in that way um but and the crazy part is that i only get to watch the nba as a fan it's impossible for me to watch the wnba as a fan i just can't (laughs) it's impossible did you see the sky especially early season did you see them having a potential at all to to, to win the whole you know, thing. I mean, everyone came into the season saying it's Chicago's championship to lose. Now, I don't know how many put them like at the tippy tippy top. I don't think they were in my finals matchup because I felt like they needed some time with Candace Parker to like get her in the fold, you know, first year come in and, and to the credit of James Wade and that entire team. I think that championship um, came to fruition much faster than we saw it happening originally. But they just – they scared me through the season. I had serious doubts because the moment Candace got injured, they went on a huge, like, eight-game losing streak. And it was I was like, listen, everybody else has got to be able to to pull their weight. Like, yeah, she's a, she's a superstar, and she's exactly what you guys needed, bringing that championship experience to this team that had none. Um, but they had so much talent that you were like, okay, if they can put it together and figure it out, the writing was on the wall. And just like any other season in any other sport – there are dominoes that fall along the way, right? You could say, well, what if Elena Deladon was healthy? Because I had Washington as one of my teams. Or what if, you know, there's so many, you know, what ifs. But Chicago earned that championship, man. They gutted it out. They got better defensively throughout the season. Kalia Copper is like a superstar, like just stepped up in every way. And then, you know, you've got players like Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley that. Yo, Courtney Vandersloot? Sick. Courtney Vandersloot is a killer. Sick. Right? She's a straight up yeah. killer. Yeah. <laughs> she had me out the off my couch more than once. I was like, yo. She's a savage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of those pick and roll executions at the end of game four, I was like, yo, she's got ice water in those veins. And she and again, she's a player, she'll never dunk. She's probably like five six. But when you appreciate the purity of the mm. game and how she just gets her Steve Nash and her John Stockton on the entire game and is flirting with a triple-double every oh, night, then, you know, you appreciate it. I, I, don't, I don't understand. If people can't see, like, just the, the – I look at Candace Parker as iconic, like, because, yes, what she does on, on the floor, but also her ability to be such a massive ambassador yeah. of the entirety of the game and the league – and she doesn't take the shine just for herself. She holds the door open and, and really makes sure that she's speaking and amplifying for the for the totality of her peers while also being like, on this court, I'm here to, to eat you. Yeah, yeah. She is, um, and I said this about Candace a few years ago, because Candace has had a difficult journey, right? I mean, she's had tons of knee surgeries, lots of injuries. You know, unfortunately, the passing of her coach, Pat Summit, was a huge impact had a major impact on her life. You know, she got pregnant early on in her, her journey to the WNBA. She was MVP and Rookie of the Year her first season. And then, you know, shortly after that, gets pregnant. So she misses some time. And um, Candace has had to deal with a lot of criticism. You know, I think because the bar was set so high for her early, you know, she was dunking in high school. And uh, she was just that, that next player coming along that there was so much pressure and expectation on. She gets left off the Olympic team. She's playing for Tennessee. And there's this UConn thing that exists. And people have always, you know, there's been different things. Is she coachable? 
you know, does she work hard? I mean, all these things over the years you hear about Candace, but having spent as much time as I have in her presence, she is one of the most brilliant basketball minds you will find. Men's, women's, little league, basketball, rec league, YMCA, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like she is, she knows the game so well. Um, you see her talk about it on TNT. Oh, on, how she breaks it on down. TNT when she's putting, and she's putting Chuck in in check. She's putting all of them Period. in check, and her voice is not there as like a side, yeah. like oh here's this this is cute. No, she she is she is dominant in her critique, and it has to be acknowledged at the same level. Yes. It does. And I I love that. Yeah, and and for a long time too, you know, Candace Parker was the first, one of the first black players for this generation to see what she could be off the court, right? Like no one has no player, and I'd venture to say no black player in the WNBA has ever reached Candace's heights when it comes to endorsements, when it comes to the level of exposure. Like she's probably got especially now more following than, than any other player in the league. And so, uh, you know, I've had players like Asia Wilson, who was the MVP two seasons ago, say Candace Parker was that first player that I saw and said, wow, like this is what being at the top of your game should look like, not just on the court, right? Because for a long time, she only had one championship. People are like, eh, can you be one of the greats if you only have one? Now she's got two, so she's kind of in there. Um, I felt like she was in there anyway. Mm. But, um, you know, now we see what we can do. And then she was that point forward. You know, she popularized that position in the WNBA the way LeBron did in the NBA, where Candace plays the four, but she can bring it down the floor and she can pass with the best of them. So there was also how she helped the game evolve on the skill set side of things as well. Mm. Yeah, if I she's I don't fan out very hard, but I know that if I met Candace Parker, I'd be like, uh, <laughs> it would be, it would it would be difficult for yeah, me. She can be a little intimidating. What what do you think the difference? Uh, yeah, I imagine such. What do you think the difference was? And I remember how impactful it was when Kobe started showing up at games and started really, really being vocal and championing um, what the level of the game was and why the WNBA um, was something that he was a fan of. Um, it's crazy. I haven't shared this story very many, many times, but um, the the month before a month before Kobe passed away, he started following me on Twitter. And I remember waking up in the morning and I was like, wow, I got a notification. It was like, Kobe just followed you. And I was like, holy smokes, Kobe Bryant just followed me on Twitter. Like I'm going nuts. I'm like, what did I do? I'm trying to see if I went viral. Something bad is out here. Like what just happened? Kobe's following me. And when you still to this day, go back and look at the last tweets that he liked, I think there's like, if you look at his last 10 to 12 tweets that he liked, like three of them were mine. And several of them were about women's basketball. And that's what I learned in that moment when I realized that Kobe was following me. It had nothing to do with me. It was all about where Kobe's mind was headed around how he wanted to support women's basketball and those of us that were closer to the game understood because he was at he was side he was on the sidelines you know like watching courtside I was interviewing him and he came to all-star and we knew that he was mentoring and working one-on-one with a lot of the women behind the scenes and like 
because of Gigi, like he wanted to step two feet in to what was happening in women's basketball and to really support it. I mean, he was going to the Connecticut games, was a big fan of, 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 of what Gino has done. But in the end, he was just bringing so much respect and popularity to women's basketball, a huge, huge loss. Obviously losing Kobe period in this world is, is huge just because of who he was and everything he stood for. But for our sport, he was just about to take women's basketball to just another level. The level of investment he was wanting to make in the, in the game and in the sport was admirable. And he was bringing a lot of people with him. And so um, I just can't speak enough for even the impact that he had um, in the little bit of time. And, and not even say little bit of time because he was doing it for a while, but in the time that he had in helping to grow the sport. Yeah, it was uh, it was immense, and it was such a classic example of someone taking their platform and showing you what it looks like when when they shine the whole of their light on a thing in a manner in which you, you it was something that could not be ignored, yes. and it helped to shift and grow the culture. Obviously, um, you know we see Michael Jordan and Jordan Brand making their partnership um, with the WNBA. How, how how do you think that hey what what do you think that impact is and and how does how does that how do maneuvers like that continue to help to to grow and and see what's possible over the next 25 it all counts and it's all important every bit of visibility that these women can get counts and what jordan brand and other companies like that have done which nike has been doing you know for a long time is they're allowing us to see the lifestyle side of these women um, you know, the, the thing about the popularity of the NBA is, is not only do you get to see these men dominate on the court, but you're going to see them on a billboard. You're going to see them on the cover of a magazine. You're going to see them in ads for your favorite sneakers. They're going to be holding, you know, a, a copy of your favorite book or whatever the case may be. You're seeing them all in all these other places and you're seeing their families. You know, Aisha Curry is all over, you know, she's got her own popularity, which gets people interested in Steph. I know that sounds crazy, but sometimes that's how it worked, right? Like, I'm cooking up with Aisha. Yeah. Let me see her, they say her husband plays <laughs> basketball. We should, you know? So there's all of these touch points where you feel like as a fan, mm. you can intimately be involved with your favorite athletes. And for a very long time, and even still needs to happen more, Women haven't had that. So when Jordan is saying they're cool or Candace Parker is on the cover of the NBA 2K game, then <laughs> folks are like, okay, let's check this out. Like maybe this is actually legit or who are these people? Or let me dig a little deeper. Or now that I'm loving this NBA 2K, maybe I'll actually check out a game. And so um, the investments are important. It's important for the popularity, for mm -hmm. the, invisibil the visibility. And what happens is, you know, when you raise your level of investment the way the Jordan brand has, then other people are like, well, hmm, maybe there's something to this, you know, like they want to get on board and they see it as a safe investment because all of the narrative early on, as you mentioned earlier, was how long is the WNBA going to last? But now we see these deals coming out and sponsors are like, OK, and because of what's happened in our country the last couple of years, I will say, I think there's there's an intentional effort in investing 
more in in women in particular women of color and I, I honestly think that that has benefited the WNBA but I hope it lasts this next class uh, we talked about like the young impact coming into the NBA on the men's side uh, are, are there any players that you can identify that you're like ooh, they're about to find out uh, with this this next class uh, within the WNBA yeah I mean I think all of Okay, I'm gonna say this the right way. I think there was a little bit of a gap in the in the WNBA classes, um, where there just weren't immediate immediate impact superstars. Like they've started to take their place over time. I mean, sometimes a number one pick would come in, and they're just not great, and it takes them a few years, or sometimes they just don't get there. But there's going to be less miss and more hit for the WNBA, I think, over the next few years, whether it's um, Aaliyah Boston of South Carolina or Ryan Howard of Kentucky or Paige Beckers or AZ Fudd. Like, you just see Caitlin Clark. Um, you know, you just see, like, some serious, serious star power. Nalissa Smith of Baylor. Um, some real star power coming up here in the next few years. Um even a young woman I just looked at on Instagram, and I don't even know what year she is, but her name is Juju. What? She was balling out. That LeBron classic or whatever they just did in L.A., she was killing, like, had a floater, got a handle. She's like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, I don't even know, but she's legit. So uh, the next generation is is great, and it, and it seems like that's where the where the game is trending. Congratulations, by the way, um, on, on, on your podcast, on, on Huge hey. Fan. How has how has how has it been um, taking your voice and and stepping into a, a new platform? Because it just because everybody has a podcast don't, doesn't <laughs> that 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 it's yeah. easy. Um, so so how how's it been learning learning the dance? Man, um, so first of all, the concept itself is brilliant. And I can't take any credit for that. People are always like, oh, that's a great idea. But it was, you know, Sirius XM folks and the, the partnership with Pandora. Like, the idea is is incredible. And I, it was scary at first. I, I thought about saying, I actually thought about saying no um, in the beginning because I was like, Let's, I'm a basketball analyst. Like, you know, what, what, what do you want me to do here? Uh, these celebrities are going to be like, okay, who is this? weird person but um I saw it as a learning opportunity quite honestly and I think what I was taught as an analyst for so long was that you know you have to be the dominant voice you've got to know more than everyone else you've got to be you know and and this podcast has given me an opportunity to be a listener and to be entertained mm -hmm and to learn from people things that I would I could never prepare enough to know about the Canucks you know, like I, I'm not going to be the expert probably on that podcast. I can read a few things. Um, so it, it's given me a chance to learn more about um, entertainers that in, in, in artists and musicians that I would have never come into to contact with um, for any other reason. And to, to learn about more about the history of sport, whether it's NFL, hockey, like baseball um, that I would have never gotten an opportunity to learn. And the, my favorite part of all of this is that we have just an outstanding team. Like they put up with me, you know, Sajin and Steve and Rod and Mike and, you know, all those guys who are just um, so passionate, so thorough, you know, so thorough what they do. They're amazing. So I, I feel like I'm the, I'm the lucky one, 
you know, I got, I get to just kind of show up and learn and ask questions. And hopefully by the end, you know, the fans learn something that they didn't know. I, I agree uh, about the team. I've, I've worked with the same team on, on my podcast with Sirius XM, All Music is Black Music. And I mean, every time I'm just like, yo, y'all are amazing. Yeah. Um, make it very easy for me to do my job. But I love what you talked about. Like, it's different when you're when you're in that analyst position. Um, you don't really get to sit in an actual exchange. But in these interviews, like you're talking about, like, oh, I don't have my job isn't be this to be the smartest one. It's to actually sit in and be in exchange. And that takes the pressure off of like those small windows of like, I got a minute and 45 minute. 45 second hit or here's what's happening in between yes. plays. Um, is, is there, was there any level of, of, of fandom for you this season that just like blew you away where you're like, wow, this person is really about to say. Oh gosh. Uh, so many, but I would say to this day, well, Stephen A. Smith, you already know, like I think that's what makes him so great at his job is the depth of history. It's not how loud he can get not how many arguments he can start it's really his depth of history and how much knowledge he has but um Ashley Judd mm. still blows me away like she knows everything about Kentucky Wildcat basketball from the pregame routine to who the radio announcers were when the team first started decades ago to what the ninth guy on the bench was averaging from the three-point line his sophomore season like she was sick the day she recorded our podcast I mean she was coughing and just hacking and I said are you okay to do this she said oh yeah I would never miss an opportunity to talk about my wildcats and even in the midst of that interview I mean she had no lungs to start but when we asked her to do the chance she go cats I mean she was ready okay like she to me, if I had, if there was a hugest fan award, it's it still goes to Ashley Judd. But there have been there have been a lot of of great great interviews, and I am just blown away honestly by how much they all know about their teams while balancing their careers as you know a list celebrities. That's cool. I remember the first time that was one of those Sweet Sixteens where. Ashley Judd, Ashley Judd was in the stands at every game, and you're like, "Oh, this this isn't a promo. She's out here and and holy about this yeah. life." And it goes back to her like generations, yeah. great grandfather, and you know, yeah. it's deep. It, I mean, these folks are rearranging their concerts and things around their favorite sports teams. It's it's wild. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome. 
to Crunch Time. We're going to play some rapid fire. Are you ready? I'm ready. Greatest WNBA player alive. <laughs> Maya Moore. Favorite game time meal. Barbecue wings, all flats with mm. ranch. Holds the celery. Mm. Mm. You have one extra ticket to game five of the finals. Who are you bringing? My mom, she's a huge mm. WNBA fan. She's got the app. She gets all the alerts. She's, she's nosy. She's all in it. All time starting five WNBA. Who do you got? Point guard, Sue Bird, two guard, Diana Taurasi, three, mm. Cheryl Swoops, four, mm. Tamika Catchings, five, Lisa Leslie. Mm. She did not stutter, <laughs> folks. She did not stutter. One word to describe your WNBA fandom. Invested. Amen. Amen. Yeah. China Robinson, thank you for <laughs> allowing me uh, the keys to your crib and walk around and do whatever I wanted to. I hope I didn't mess anything up and it has been a, a, an honor um, to sit in this exchange with you. And I mean it when I say it, like, I see, I see you up there, front, front office, running things. I appreciate that, Salema. Thank you for taking good care of my car because I don't have a lot of insurance. <laughs> so thanks for driving it and not getting any bumps, no scrapes, no scratches. Uh, no, yeah. this, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And hopefully we figure out a way we can do it again. You can find Huge Fan on Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other Huge Fans can find us. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. That'll do it for this round of Huge Fan, the podcast where stars talk sports. I'm LaChina Robinson. Until next time, keep rooting your guts out. Go Budos Band! Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.